Welcome to Under the Microscope, the Science Talk podcast. With each episode, we introduce you to a new materials and nanoscientist from around the world where we talk about their science, their current research, their career journey, their three wishes to improve their research experience, and what you can expect when they are tweeting from the Real Scientist Nano Twitter account. Hey, while you are here, go over to Twitter, realsci underscore nano, and give us a follow. For one entire week, the guest is taking over the account and talking about their research. And hey, before you go, do hit a follow and leave us a review. And, and, and also, last thing, last, last thing, I promise. Last thing, please take the survey, if, especially if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, to tell us more about you. Thank you very much and enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, my name is Pranuti. I'm your host of Under the Microscope and today we have with us Steve Street who is a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Victoria in Canada. So on the left side of Canada, close to the US border. So hi Steve, how are you? Hello, pretty good, thanks. Oh, pretty good. Let's be Let's get started with your research. So could you please explain your current research at the University of Victoria in super simple words, please? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so sure. Um, I work on precision nanomaterials, which is a fancy term for trying to make things that are really small. Um, and so if you think about it in terms of school subjects, you'd be thinking about um, the, in, for example, engineering or design and technology, the smallest machinable size, the smallest size you could 3D print or like laser cut or something. And then in, in separately in science and in chemistry, you'd learn about the molecular world and like atoms and molecules and materials. And nanoscience is the space in between those two sizes. So it's about how you can make things that are too small to machine, but too big to be like, too big to control via molecules, basically, okay. if that makes sense. And basically, like controlling the shape of stuff in that size regime is really hard because uh, everything wants to be a sphere. So I work on making non-spherical nanomaterials. Um, and the, the general point of it is we're trying to find out if changing the shape of a nanomaterial can affect its uh, interactions and properties with the world and biology and for a variety of applications. Okay, all right. So when you say you make uh, materials, so which which size range uh, are we talking about here? Are we talking about millimeter, micrometer, nanometer? What are we talking about? Let's guess. We're talking about um, the nan nanometers, so some things that are from... So say the smallest particles we make are like 10 nanometers and then the largest are several microns. So between sort of 10 nanometers and 10 microns is the size that we're working with. Uh-huh. Okay. And is it because I, I assume that if you want to make like shapes of, I don't know, a millimeter or let's centimeter, it's easy to make. They don't become spheres, right? Like everyday materials. Why do you say that the materials tend to be like, why, why is it so difficult? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think it's probably because the, the, under that scale, you can't physically manipulate things yourself. So you have to rely on fundamental physics of how like molecules and like materials interact with each other. And um, 
like as far as I'm aware, a sphere is the lowest volume shape. So naturally, things want to minimize their volume and their interactions with things that aren't themselves, and so that leads them to make um, spheres. Okay, that's like the lowest energy state, and the material, the molecules, or atoms, they try to go to the lowest energy state, which is spherical, and that's why. Okay, so what kind of shapes do you make? Do you make like pyramids or? Yeah, that's yeah. a good question. So we, 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 I primarily make nanofibers, so things that are quite thin and short so they have a small cross section but they're very very long in very, one very dimension um so we call these one one dimensional materials because that we talk about just like one dimension is a lot bigger than the others but like our our group can make a variety of stuff so we can also make uh, two-dimensional platelets which are just like like a sheet of paper kind of but on the nanoscale so they they have like are big in two dimensions but then still really really like thin and then there's there's like not as as much research on it but we're working on three-dimensional materials as well so getting the like the fibers or the platelets to stack together into sort of like arrays and these sorts of things but there's there's not too much research on that but like um people have done some some work on it okay so you 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 mainly work on these can we call them filler or needles or what what, what can we call them Nanofibers is what we normally call them. Like, yeah. In, in real life, like in common people language, what can we call it? Can we call it like hair? Yeah, like sticks is what I normally say. Sticks, yeah, yeah. And why do you, why do you make them? Two questions. Which material uh, are these sticks, nano sticks, made out of? And why do you make sticks? Why don't you make cylinders, for example? Tell me. Yeah, yeah that's a good question. So. Um, we, we work with polymers, um, so we work with uh, yeah what we call oh. block copolymers. So we, polymers are like long chains of uh, big molecules that are made up of lots of repeat units of the same or the same thing. Or and if you have one polymer chain that has two different what we call blocks, so two different types of molecule that make it up, you can get it to go through a process which is known as self-assembly, which mm -hmm. is a, a bottom-up way of producing. Um, nanomaterials. There's there's like a there's two ways of making them. There's like the top-down approach, which is to use something like lithography or um, yeah to to like engineer things really smaller and smaller and smaller. And then there's mm -hmm. the the chemistry way, which is to build molecules bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, mm -hmm. And so self-assembly is this sort of this process where molecules will organize themselves into the, oh, into the lowest the, energy state and you can control um yeah like the properties of that and there's a uh, one interesting thing about people that work in nanomaterials and um different uh like shapes is that everybody uses an analogy with something from the real world so for example like fibers hairs sticks cylinders and sometimes there are people use different words and sometimes there are like subtle differences between differences. them so the difference between a cylinder and a stick in in my mind would be the the cross section so the cross section of a cylinder would be round and then the cross section of yeah like a fiber or a nanofiber would be like rectangular or so and that would be down to the the chemistry of the polymers you're working with and how they like to assemble okay okay so what you mentioned top uh, top down that is something that happens for example in semiconductor industry with lithography and all of that mm -hmm. but in real life if you want to take an example is so if you want to build a build a building so top down would mean that you start from the top floor or not even you start from like the roof and above that and then you make it like smaller and smaller and then you cut it from different sides so that's like the top down and bottom up is the foundations and then first floor like ground floor first floor second floor. that's so what you do is more of the the, the bottom up which is the ground floor first floor second floor right yeah 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like if you if you're gonna yep. sculpt uh, something, oh. think about um, is like a top down approach would be taking like a block of stone and then chiseling it away until it had the shape of whatever you wanted. Whereas bottom up, which is what we do, would be to just take lumps of clay or something and then mold it and create it into the shape you want rather than removing it. Right. Um, Right. Yes, that makes sense. So tell me, how did you like, I'm pretty sure as like a five or six year old, Steve did not think that he would be sitting in Victoria and making these uh, sticks, nano sticks. How did how did that happen? Tell me about how did you end up <laughs> stock, uh, in Victoria? Tell me. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So I think well, as a kid, I always loved playing with Lego. So I, I was I was obsessed with Lego and I used to like building stuff and uh, yeah, creating all kinds of things. And I think that kind of theme has kind of continued is. through my life. It's just that now I work with much, much smaller Lego bricks. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's kind of the, the way I think about it. And um, yeah, I sort of, I've had an interesting career path that sort of varied a bit and it's not been standard, I guess. But every every step of my career i've just made the decision which uh, i did what i wanted to enjoy most and what i thought sounded most interesting and i sort of took advantage of opportunities that presented themselves so um yeah like i didn't um, intend like on I, studying chemistry at university i, I was thinking of doing computer science i went to a couple of open days and i had a couple of bad experiences with with the computer science open days and then i had a couple of really good people that like presented um chemistry at the universities and i thought oh this actually sounds quite interesting i was probably wowed like a lot of people by sort of like lasers and explosions and liquid nitrogen and stuff and i was like yes this is cool i want to <laughs> i want to study this um yeah and yeah. and then af afterwards i worked in industry for a bit after my chemistry degree um because okay. at the time i was i just was just looking for all, all, all opportunities and i i won an award for being the most improved chemistry student at my um undergraduate, undergraduate. and the company that provided that award were the company that they offered me a job afterwards, basically. And I was like, this seems like a, like okay. an opportunity. So, yeah, Wait, so working. You had what? Most improved. What does that mean? Yeah. That you started yeah. with grade zero and then you went, like you improved over the course of your undergrad? What does that mean? Yeah, that's basically what it means. It's, it means someone who had lower grades at the start of their degree and then had better grades at the end. So I I, my, my, I think my, my average every year went up. So I think I started at like 60% and then in my first year and they had me like 65 in my second year. And in my third year, I got like 69.5%. I worked out my, my average was like 69.5% or whatever it was. It was the highest grade you could get without getting a first, basically. And so I, I, I did the maths for like my final year and worked out that if I got like seventy four percent, I would in my final year I would get a first. So then I was like, okay, I'm committed to doing this in my final year. And so like in my final year, I got like I got like eighty four percent or something. So um, I I tried a lot harder in my final year and um yeah. So like. <laughs> I, oh my god this is so cool i i love the idea sorry sorry for interrupting but i loved I, I want to take the moment to acknowledge or rather mention that i love the idea of most improved student because oftentimes this the scholarships or awards or whatever everything is for like the the, the 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 people who come first second or third maybe fifth and that's it but these are usually people who are consistent consistently over the course of their studies are first second third fourth or fifth but this is really cool oh wow I, no wonder you took that job that's awesome okay sorry please go on yeah so yeah, yeah it, it was a really good idea and i uh, like 
I think people that like that normally have the most interesting like like journeys, I guess, because um, they've they've had to overcome obstacles and uh, yeah, shown improvement. And whereas if you if you're always in the front and always best, then you there's you haven't had to overcome as many obstacles, I guess. Or um, yeah, so I, I I worked in this industry job for about a year or so. Um, I was in agrochem. It's like a contract-based agrochemical company. So my job was literally like weighing soil out and then working out how many like how, what pesticides were in it. Um, so measuring the amount of different pesticides and stuff. And we got to work with quite a lot of different things. So it was it was kind of interesting, but then also it didn't really challenge me as much as I I wanted. And so then I thought then about doing a PhD and yeah I was lucky to get into the Bristol chemical synthesis like center for doctoral training which uh, was like an amazing opportunity and so yeah for people that don't know about them in the UK they have these things called CDTs which are centers that specialize in training PhD students in areas that are important for like the the economy or whatever so they pick one particular area and then it's great as a student because you get to choose the project you want to work on so you there's lots of academics that work with the center and you do a few rotations in each lab and then you get to pick from like we had I think we had about like 30 projects that we could choose from and we got to choose what PhD project we wanted so it gives the power to you rather than the power being with the, the academic which is um, which is quite nice so, so yeah the one choosing so I worked on I, I was always fascinated by um, like biology and medicine and stuff so I chose to work with um, on carbohydrate based anti-cancer drugs um, which is a bit which is a bit yeah it's very different because at the time I, I didn't do biology at school so I knew no biology just chemistry and it was quite a steep learning curve for part of my project but it was it was I really enjoyed it um, and it was yeah, really interesting. So was this like pasta or bread as anti-cancer? Because you said carbs. Uh, uh, yeah, so we're like like sugars basically. Um, so yeah, we. I was working with glucose. I worked with a couple of sugars um, like glucose and mannose and um, so yeah, literally um, like table sugar or like so brewer's sugar if you if people that brew beer it's like uh, like dextrose or glucose. I was modifying that um, and then yeah attaching it to like some molecules that people use in like the semiconductor industry and made these weird we call them amphiphilic molecules so they they had really weird properties but um i was trying to get them to bind to these special four stands four stranded dna structures mm -hmm. that are called uh, g quadruplexes and the g quadruplexes are like were known to um big overexpressed in a variety of cancers and so we were trying to stabilize them and then like kill the cancer cells did it work yeah. Which kind um, of cancer? Is um, it coming to the market? If I eat bread, will I be curing my cancer? Tell me. I, I don't think so. These ones were like stru structurally uh, a bit different. Uh, but yeah, like uh, it's a it's a really interesting area. There are no drugs that are currently approved that um, target um, quadruplexes, but there is a couple that are in clinical trials. And yeah, it's a it's a very interesting area. Interesting. As a scientist, ethically, I should stop saying eating bread might cure your cancer i didn't say that okay sorry please. your phd sounds really like cool phd like work okay okay yeah. go on yeah. yeah i go to phd okay i got it yeah so um yes yeah, so as part of that i i was trained as like a synthetic chemist so i, was, I did rotations in like in like inorganic chemistry and um like supramolecular chemistry and organic chemistry and like carbohydrate chemistry is like organic chemistry but i also learned I wanted to test the, the compounds myself as well because that seemed like one of the most interesting parts. So I, I did like the, I learned how to grow cells and do the biology side of things myself as well. Uh, and that was really fun and rewarding. And so at the end of my PhD, I was sort of thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I thought I, I really enjoyed working on like um, anti-cancer applications. 
but I thought like the the compounds I was making, the they were a long way away from being like approved and like actually solving the problems they were aiming to treat. Um, and so I was thinking about other ways that what do I think is most promising for treating cancer and diseases like that. And then at the time, I was really interested in uh, like CRISPR and um, nucleic acid medicines and mRNA and stuff like that. And but that was in the realms of biology, not chemistry. Um, and so I, I wasn't sure what I could do to work on that. Um, but then I applied for an EPSRC doctoral prize fellowship, which is a opportunity to, um, yeah, conduct your own research in a, in a group in the UK. And so I joined the group of like Ian Manners to work on, um, polymer based delivery systems. Cause I thought that, um, I read a couple of articles about how the delivery of medicines was a big challenge. And I thought that's something that is in the realms of chemistry and that's something that chemists can, can work on. And yeah, so that's the group that I'm still in today now. So I've sort of, um, several years down the down the road into the journey of working on these systems uh-huh. oh wow oh so that's what you're doing right now so that's the what, what was it ep what what fellowship so, is this it's called uh, an epsrc doctoral prize fellowship so yeah that was that was for two years when when that finished, um, I at that point uh, my supervisor his group was in the university of bristol in the uk and then while I was there, they, they decided to move his group to the University of Victoria in Canada. And so towards the end of my EPSSC fellowship, I had the opportunity, um, he offered, said, would you like to come to Canada and um, do research over here? And I was like, yes, this sounds like an yes. amazing opportunity. I, I would love to visit Canada and see what life is like there. And um, my projects, I, I hadn't finished like a few of the projects I was working on. And so I wanted to take the opportunity to sort of complete what I'd been, what I'd been working on. Um, Oh, so how long have you been in, in Canada? So I've been in Canada for about three years now, I think. Um, so I arrived just before the pandemic. Um, oh, 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 you. Oh, I think you made the right decision. <clears throat> uh, spending the pandemic or being in Canada uh, during the pandemic uh, instead of in the UK. Sorry, but, but they, they, they made some shitty, shitty choices. I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, okay, but that's that's really cool. Wow, from uh, someone who wanted to, who was interested in working on Legos, I think the life, your research came kind of full circle, like now you're also doing the same thing, like bottom up uh, sort of a thing. That is really cool. So, I mean, honestly, your research journey is super fascinating and super interesting. And I have so many questions for you about your PhD work, about your postdoc, about everything, but I'm going to stop myself and ask you this, and this is a tough question, okay? If you have to pick one research project that you're most proud of, or the most fun or quirky one, could you pick one and explain it to us in simple words in the section we call In Other Words? Yeah, yeah. so I think I would pick the, so I, I told you that I mentioned worked on like tiny sticks as we call them. Um, and the the area that I'm most interested in applying them to is um, nanomedicine. So we want to try and use them as tiny delivery systems to deliver medicine inside the body, um, which is which is a big challenge because getting medicines to the right location is, is quite hard. And that's, re that's for example, one of the reasons why um, like brain cancer is much harder to treat than if you had, say, a blood cancer or um, liver cancer or something like that. Um, it's much harder mm -hmm. to get medicines into the brain um, to treat the disease. Um, and so basically, I when I, I worked, I make these tiny sticks, these and, tiny sticks um, and I functionalized um, them and gave them the ability to complex DNA so they could carry 
nucleic acid cargo and yeah so there's a few people use polymers for delivering dna and that's like quite a known thing and um recently people have developed what they call micelplexes which are self-assembled polymer nanoparticles that carry dna but in, normally when people carry dna they put dna in the center of a nanoparticle where it's protected but in micelplexes they're on the outside of the dna so they're on the outside of the particle mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so you can think like a good way to think about these like these tiny sticks would be like a hairbrush, for example. Um, so you've got like the 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 backbone of the hairbrush is like the core of the of the nanofiber or the or the, the particle, and the like the the bristles are the are the corona or what we call the outside part, um, which is what makes it dissolve in water and um, what makes it self assemble. And mm-hmm. what I developed was these these particles that can bind like DNA sequences like, to it, the outside. So it's kind of like hair getting stuck in the hairbrush. It's like that except on a nanoscale and it can deliver the the hair is a medicine rather than just hair. But these are like, yeah, so these are like the first example of like a non-spherical mycelplex. And yeah, it was what I wanted to work on, why why I joined like the Manus Group and got my um, EPSSC fellowship. And so it was really satisfying to, to see that project through from like thinking about it as an idea and what I wanted to work on to like actually achieving something and like publishing um, with it. So I think that was, Probably my favorite oh, thing. Favorite. Oh, I can imagine why you picked this one. This sounds so cool. That is so so cool. So maybe we can we can tweak the the analogy a little bit and say that with this hairbrush, what gets stuck is not hair, but it's what gets stuck is maybe some oil or some nourishment for the hair, and then you use that too. I mean, yeah. you're not <laughs> the hair, but. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. that sounds so cool. And what was what were these uh, sticks made out of? This this uh, block uh, polymer that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, ah. it's a it's a block copolymer. So the the process by which we make these these particles, these like sticks, is called uh, crystallization driven self assembly, which is quite a complicated sentence. But what it literally means is that the there are different driving forces for making the the polymers come together into like a nanoparticle. And in CDSA, if you have a a polymer that can crystallize with a core forming block, so if the like the the backbone of the hairbrush is something that could crystallize, then as that crystallizes, that like favors the formation of one dimensional structures. And um, so I have I what the the system I made I sort of used a bunch of sort of like off the shelf components from different fields. So yeah. I took a crystallizable core forming polymer um, that had been shown to to crystallize and self assemble into nanofibers into like tiny sticks. And then I took a polymer that had been widely studied in gene delivery, which is called like a PDMA EMA. But um, yeah, it's this polymer, and people have shown that this polymer can bind to DNA and uh, take it inside a cell. But um, the way most people do that is. <laughs> just mixing polymer and DNA without having them being in any nanostructures. And if you do that, it makes what's called a polyplex, which is literally like a bundle. It's like if you if you have like a, a drawer full of cables that you haven't touched and they all intertwine and get tangled up together, that's, that's literally what it looks like. So imagine like a, a nano-sized ball of wool that has two different um, types of wool in it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what like normal polymers do. So I took the polymer that can bind DNA and then added it to the polymer that can crystallize um and then that enabled me to get like the one-dimensional um like tiny sticks that were able to actually bind dna onto the outside and retain some control over their size and shape okay that sounds 
That sounds really cool. So can we say that because I'm, I'm going in the direction of using the nano sticks to deliver medicines. So can we say what is this magic brush that the witches have that they fly on or in Harry Potter there? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, like the like, like the, the broom, like the Nimbus 2000. And, exactly, uh... the Nimbus 2000. <laughs> 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 um, but in this case, in your case, it's like the witches are actually going to cure your cancer, potentially, or they're going to cure any. Is it only for cancer or any any drug delivery? Uh, so that's, this is something we I, I, we I want to study next. And this is because uh, it's kind of like a platform. So there's you could, in theory, bind any any nucleic acid. So any DNA or RNA medicine could be delivered and it's sort of like a modular system so we could what we hope to be able to do is to adapt it to target different locations in the body and different diseases and then deliver different uh types of medicine um so i i just worked with um i made um glow in the dark um brain cancer cells <laughs> basically so um i delivered a dna sequence for what's called like firefly luciferase which is the, it's the thing that makes fireflies glow in the dark um uh -huh. It's a protein um, and it's a good way of testing how well your delivery systems work because how how much the cells glow is directly related to how much you delivered how much medicine you delivered well please tell me you have pictures and videos please 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 tell me <laughs> so i've got videos. pictures of the, yeah i've got some pictures of the cells and stuff oh my god that sounds cool that sounds so cool okay so okay i'm, I'm thinking like nano brooms for witches who are drunk. No, that's too long. Let's talk about it later. <laughs> okay, so, so Steve, uh, what is clear to me is that you love the research aspect of being a scientist. I mean, that was one of the reasons why you chose chemistry over computer science, because uh, there is no liquid nitrogen in computer science. There is nothing, no chemicals really like happening there. So, but what else do you like, especially because you're a postdoc, so you're not a student anymore so what else yeah, yeah. Do you like about being a scientist i think primarily the freedom and this this like is has a number of benefits so one of them is that we like i'm pushed to the limits of what i can achieve this the only limit to what i do is like what my own brain is capable of which is i think it's very rare for a job to push your brain to the limits of what it can do um mm -hmm. so like every day my brain gets a really good like mental workout and i think that's something that is not as present in other careers okay. and there's something that is. scientists are quite lucky i like the freedom to choose your own research directions and you get to you get to pick any area and something that you find fascinating and work on it so i transitioned from making sort of like small molecule sugars that was like designed as anti-cancer drugs to delivering to like making like polymer nanoparticles which is a very different field but um field. i was um, interested in it and I, I moved there and i've started studying it which is um something i really enjoy and i like the freedom of like the work-life balance so it depends on like what groups like, you're in what and what universities you're in but um like um my supervisor is quite like, laid back and so i get to we get to choose our own working hours we get to choose like when we work when we want to work and for how long we want to work and um yeah i like the freedom of of that kind of yeah the, the work-life balance is is better um in that respect uh -huh. so the mental gym and the work-life balance yeah yeah um i also i also really like uh meeting people from you get as a scientist you get to meet people from all walks of life 
and yeah. every place imaginable um and i i really enjoy meeting other people um that have lived very different lives to yourself and uh, talking to them and seeing um yeah and yeah science is, science is like a utopia in that sort of way you have like people from all over the world coming together to like advanced humanity in some way which is one of the things i think is like really cool um, yeah absolutely absolutely i agree and uh, honestly it's i have to say that it's a bit of an unusual thing because usually academia at least uh, in most part of the most parts of the world is not known to offer work-life balance let's put it that way that's of course because of the broken systems and broken institutions so on and so forth so i'm very happy that you're in a place where you get the freedom to have your own working hours because i think research or being a scientist is also a very creative process and you can't just be like okay from nine to six you have to be in the lab and you have to do because the freer you are the more free you are the more creative and more productive you will be so it's basically actually helping the employer get yeah. the best talent out of you um absolutely absolutely um that 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 makes sense. And how's the campus like? Is there like a lake or is there like is there like trees? Like I mean, not not right now, probably because it's winter. But is it like a beautiful campus or is it just like a? Bleh? Yeah, it's it's a beautiful campus um, with some. I think it, it is, I think it's it, unfortunate that a lot of the buildings were built in the '60s, so they're quite like it's, the, the architecture is not as great. I don't think the architecture does the campus justice because the campus itself is beautiful. We've got like. Yeah, so there's big green spaces, lovely trees and forests. There's like a botanical garden on campus. Um, oh, um, there's, there's, we're also about like a 10 to 15 minute walk from the beach. There's this like beautiful um, bay called Capra Bay. Um, and you can see the Olympic, so like we're on an island and south of the island is the Olympic mountain range, which is near Seattle. So basically we have, there's a, if you look across the water, you can see the Olympic mountains. Um, and there's like, if you look across, the east side of the island there's the cascades which are run near vancouver so the, the backdrop wherever you look is like mountain ranges basically which is really really beautiful but yeah the campus is is really beautiful i need to visit yeah. you i have this strong urge uh, and this feeling that i need to visit you because what you're 10 15 minutes walk from the beach what the hell dude what yeah. the hell? Wow. It's so, it's so good. And also, people think the weather is really bad in Canada, but um, in Victoria, like it, sometimes in summertime, it's 20 degrees sunshine, blue sky from about May till the end of September. So you can go, it's like really, it's like mu much more consistent than you would think. Yeah, my, my, like my, my, my boss is from the UK and um, he, as a scientist, he analyzed the weather patterns from the UK and Victoria and it rains the same it just rains in winter in victoria and then the summertime is like just sunshine and actually nice weather um which is something that's quite rare for, for me but i really enjoy <laughs> okay i'm gonna ask you questions about moving to victoria because i'm convinced i'm looking for a place which is close to the beach which has decent work-life balance <laughs> um and everything you victoria is just ticking all the boxes for me i i i need to look into the migration part of uh, of that for sure all right that's awesome so it's 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 i mean it sounds like your research experience has been wonderful i mean your research took you from the uk to victoria to this dreamland in my head it is a dreamland however 
if you have to improve, if you would like to improve your research experience, uh, research experience, and you had three wishes to improve your research experience, what would you ask for? And I'm not promising anything here, okay? Don't. Okay. I think, um, yeah, one of the first thing is to have streamlined the way people get funding to do science, because I think this is one of the most fundamental problems is that yes. there's only so many opportunities and this is what happens at every stage that you do science so whether you're like a PhD student a postdoc a young academic or a senior academic or you always have to compete for the same fellowships and funding opportunities mm -hmm. and they are so like in demand the chances of success is really really low and what this means is that ultimately like you have a situation and the amount of work required to get them is significant there's a lot of work that goes into especially to have a like an application that stands a chance of being successful in such a competitive environment requires weeks or months of your time and you have a situation where like the success rate like, is success below one percent or something and um so you think about like you have thousands of scientists spending weeks and months of their time writing proposals for what they would like to do which will ultimately just be rejected and they won't get the money to do it. And that's just so wasteful because they also have to find, they have to pay or they have to they find have to scientists find to scientists. review the grant applications as well. So it's just a monumental waste of time and money. And you think about what those thousands of scientists could do with several months of time if they didn't spend it, like wasting it writing applications. So I think that's one area. And I think actually, I think I saw something, I read something a while ago about, um, I think it was like in Australia, they did a study and they found out that the amount of, it costs more it money costs to more administer money to the like Australian grant system than it than the money they were giving out. So like it was actually like it would have been better for them to just give the money out randomly to people or whatever because they, they would have had more money. The taxpayers would have had more money left in the bank afterwards, which is like wow. a pretty crazy situation. So that's one thing I would definitely like to change. Better better funding system, uh, research <laughs> grants and funding system. Yeah, definitely. Okay, two more. Go. And then. The second one is, I think, um, a better. This um, is sort of. It doesn't immediately sound like it's related to research, but I think it is, and it's um, to get people to understand chemistry and like science better. Because I think a lot of normally when you say you're a chemist to people, they have the same. There's a couple of reactions that you get, and the first one is just a That's look fun. of confusion, and then like visible pain on their face, and then they just say, "Oh, I was never any good at chemistry," or like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't like chemistry at school or something," and like okay. they they just glaze over as they relive the horrors of like their like like high school or secondary school like science, um, and but it's a really important discipline that is has like there's lots of problems the world faces today that are in the realms of chemistry that need to be solved, and um, and it impacts people that study chemistry further so i think it's kind of misunderstood and that's why people don't study it more which impacts for example they because they don't study it as an undergraduate they don't study it for a phd which means that they don't um, go on to be a postdoc they don't go on to become like a, a faculty and i think it means that sort of like chemistry is lacking a diversity of people that have been turned away from science so i think it would be nice to correct that and have the public understand chemistry a bit better and have a more diverse representative group of people doing science. I think that'd be number two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that would that 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 makes sense. Did Breaking Bad help? What do you think? So I I think it did because honestly, it made chemistry seem cool and people and like people like now they like they appreciate it a lot more. So I think it did. It, it, it is, is good. It's good. The, the side effect is that everybody thinks now as chemists we're like in the desert in a Winnebago like cooking crystal meth or something. <laughs> so that's Aren't like. You? Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. Isn't that what you're doing on the, all those ferry rides that you go on? Like <laughs> <laughs> so many ferry rides. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, that's that's a fair wish. Yeah, that's number two. Last one. Be wise. Okay. And the the last one is uh, that like I would like a better quality of life for scientists in academia. So um. Academia normally has less money than, for example, industry and other business and other, especially under ind other industries. So this means that, uh, like, you you look at your friends and co like they're doing other things. Like they might have they might have, for example, I consider computer science. They might have actually gone on to study computer science, and they have things like private healthcare. Like their work is like a nice building that's modern. They have like spaces to relax and socialize. They have complimentary tea and coffee and drinks and like snacks and like. They might have a gym membership included in their like work and like all these kinds of things kinds like of things. are missing in academia. Academia is sort of like a building that was built in the 60s with like equipment that varies depending on exactly where you're studying it. And there's not normally any of these sort of like nice to haves. So I think it would just be it would be nice if academia was more like a Silicon Valley like tech Silicon startup or something where there was like cool stuff happening that made like your life at work more enjoyable. Yeah, so. that makes sense. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. I mean, you did mention the that you do have work life balance, but it is nothing compared to a job at corporate. It is amazing compared to other academia jobs or other situations, whatever. But it's nothing compared to uh, to to a Silicon Valley startup. So I I totally am with you. Like you put it exactly like perfectly like building for uh, built in the 60s maybe some equipment here or there and uh, but yeah it would definitely it i think it's important to make research and academia more lucrative so that also to attract more bright minds i mean duh yeah. i i agree i agree but hey all three of your wishes at least the second one which is that people understand chemistry better um you are already doing that you are part of this uh, you are taking over the real scientist and twitter account and you are on the on the podcast and i hope even if if it inspires one person to be like, oh yeah, chemistry is actually really cool. And next time I'm gonna maybe pursue chemistry or encourage someone else to pursue uh, chemistry. I think our job is done. And yeah, with number one, like with the research funding process, I mean, all I can say is that I'm glad we have people like you who have identified, uh, who are not denying that uh, things need to change, who are not in denial, but you are in the process, let, let's put it like you're, you're thinking about it, you're actively, you don't have answers right now, but uh, first step towards solving a problem is to uh, acknowledge that there is a problem. So I think, I think next time when you're on the podcast for Hopefully things are slightly better. So let's go from 1% to 2% or, well, fuck it. Let's go to 50%. Uh, <laughs> uh, University of Victoria starts giving out gym membership or at least free coffee and very important. I mean, yeah. without coffee and tea, I don't know where science will be. I mean, come on. This is like basics absolutely I, I i agree well i hope all your wishes come true i really really hope so and this has been wonderful steve but before i let you go what can the followers expect when you're taking over the real scientist nano twitter account 
Okay, that's, okay, that's a good question. So I think I want to sort of introduce myself and the decisions I made to get me where to where I am today to hopefully help people with, um, yeah, their own, whatever stage of their own careers and decisions they're making around, they can hopefully get a diversity of like experiences from other people. I want to sort of introduce my research area more generally and why it's important, like why we should care about nanomaterials and um, the, the challenge, where the field is at, like the challenges and the opportunities in nanomedicine and with nanomaterials. And then talk about like my own research bit and sort of how that hopefully fits into the addressing the challenges and uh, trying to optimize the opportunities that are available. And then I was thinking about doing maybe like a question and answer session towards the end where people could sort of like ask any questions that they wanted and then I could, yeah, give them like an, an honest answer. Yeah, and then maybe just sort of some future, what do I think the future holds for like myself and for the field and that sort of thing. Field and that sort of thing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Okay, and uh, a nice mixture of beach pictures and mm. campus mm. pictures and mm. um, attracting more tourists to Victoria and the <laughs> pictures and all of that as well, I hope. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely uh, going to weave in some uh, yeah photos of Victoria, British Columbia and um, my day to day life uh, as we as we go throughout the um, the week. Okay, perfect, perfect. That sounds great. Thank you very much, Steve. This has been wonderful and really excited and looking forward to having you on Real Scientist Nano. Thank you for speaking with me. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Abstract submission for the 6th Nano Scientific Forum Europe 2023 is now open. Join this European SPM meeting and be part of exciting talks from the nano research field, practical hands-on sessions, and a thrilling social program in Barcelona's Flair, hosted by ICFO, Barcelona, Spain. See you in Barcelona in September 2023.